Radio. Divine Mercy, a talk by Paul Ellard at the Immaculata Mission School 2014, held at the Sacred Heart Retreat Centre in Croydon, Melbourne. I'll just say a little prayer. You might like to close your eyes. And at the end of this prayer, I invite you to to just make this prayer your own words and ask the Lord to um, really bless us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love, your incredible mercy, Lord. We thank you that you want to bless us right here, this day, this hour. You want to pour your love, an abundance of your love and mercy on each and every one of us. We are humbled by this, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. And we ask you, Lord, with the intercession of our Blessed Mother, to give us a deep desire to possess this gift, to really desire it, to call upon Mary, to intercede for us, and to step out in complete trust knowing that the Lord will bless us. Lord, hear our prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary. Saint Faustina, Blessed Father Sepocco, Blessed Pope John Paul II, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. All right. Oh, by the way, if anybody wants to talk to this note, the same thing will apply. We've got the paper there, so if you want to just put Divine Mercy, I can send you the notes as game. You ever have one of those things where people come to you and say, do you want the good news or do you want the bad news? (laughs) And then some people say, oh, give me the good news first. Give me the bad news first so then it can only get better. Well, the divine mercy is good news. It's fantastic news. But in order to appreciate the quality and the strength of this good news, we have to also hear about the bad news We have to look honestly at where we are today in our world. We look around and we see so much evil in the world. Do you realize that 90 million people have been aborted in the last 30 years? Just makes you want to shake. We look in our own. I'm from Sydney and we have crime rate, shooting happening, and so much Crime and murder from youth, from young people. Drug and alcohol are increasing. Marriages are breaking down. Euthanasia and gay marriage is being legislated throughout just about every state. The pressure constantly on for this to happen. We've got wars in Syria and so many places. It begs the question, where is God in all this ungodliness? Where is the justice of God? The good people might say, where's the justice of God? Surely the blood of all these 90 million people cries out for justice. Well, it does. And Jesus has said, 
in the messages to St. Faustina that in fact there is a day of justice coming. It's not the end of the world, it's a day of justice. The coming of the kingdom. We've been praying for 2,000 years. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We shouldn't be surprised if one day it actually does happen. And you know why it will happen? You know why it will happen? Because Jesus prayed for it. Jesus asked the Father for this. You can bet your life this prayer will be answered. But getting back to our world today, what is God's response to the situation that we're in this world? Some people think God is silent in all of this. Can I put it to you that God is shouting to us from the rooftops? He's shouting to us through his prophets of St. Faustina. He sends his own mother for the last hundred years. He's been sending her like never before, pleading messages, conversion, penance, prayer. Come back to God. Because Our Lady tells us we're on a path of self-destruction. So I put it to you that this message that we're about to listen to is very important. It's not just another devotion. You know, we have devotions to this saint and that saint and all that. This actually has really very little to do with St. Faustina. You know why? Because we're going to hear the words of Jesus. Imagine if I said to you, would you like to hear something, a message from Jesus, a real message, word for word, literally word for word? You'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, that's what we're going to hear today. So as we're going through this, remember, this is not St. Faustina's words, not my words, not a Pope's words. This is the words of Jesus. It was given just around the Second World War. So comparatively recent times. And it speaks to us today. Pope John Paul II said, this millennium will be the millennium of mercy. He understood Salvation history, how it was unfolding. This is what Pope John Paul said. He was so deeply connected to this message that he saw in them more than just a collection of private revelations. Normally when somebody, a saint or somebody, gets a message from the Lord, we say, oh, that's okay. Even Mary's message, they're under the banner of private revelations. And there's a bit of a tendency today to kind of almost dismiss it you know oh well it's not scripture well it's private revelation oh, don't put too much importance on it but it's still the words of Jesus but John Paul he saw them as prophetic revelations in other words they were revelations given to us by God to proclaim the heart of the gospel in a way especially suited to meet the needs of our times And boy, do we ever need mercy today. We've got nothing else but mercy. We can't stand on our own merits. Everything is mercy. Okay, very quickly, a little, as I said, this is not about St. Faustina, but just to put everything in context. St. Faustina was born in Poland in 1905. She lived the same many years as Jesus did, 33 years. And she wrote this diary. She only ever had two terms of schooling. Not two years, two terms of schooling. So she, her literary skills were very, very poor. 
And she wrote some 477 pages in her diary. And Jesus told her that, he was, that she was to be his secretary. So he would literally dictate to her and she, and she would write word for word. I like to say that Faustina's diary is one of the greatest love stories ever told. Have it next to your bed, read a bit every night. It's beautiful. Okay, let's get into it because we're pressed for time and we need to get through this because there's just so many wonderful things. We're going to be reading these words from Jesus. Can I bring to your attention, note the style of the writing. I'd been reading these messages and I've been talking about divine mercy for years and one day the Lord prompted me, look at the style of the writing. And suddenly I just saw everything differently. The intensity of the words. The, we were thinking about the passion before. The passion of the words is like, wow. He, Jesus is really trying to communicate something to us. Okay, so after each text you see a little reference here. This is where the diary reference number, if something really touches your heart, you can dot it down. But don't forget... In my notes, all of this is written, so don't sort of go frantic writing. Jesus says, I cannot punish even the greatest sinner if he makes an appeal to my compassion, but on the contrary, I justify him in my unfathomable and inscrutable mercy. These words that are really powerful, I've put in italics. Right, before I come as just judge, I first open wide the door of my mercy. He who refuses to pass through the door of my mercy must pass through the door of my justice. This is a very interesting text. And Jesus says it and repeats it in many ways. But he's saying this. There is justice and there is mercy. They are not the same thing. Justice is you get what you deserve. That's justice. Mercy is you do not get what you deserve. You get forgiven. You get pardoned. So the Lord's saying, his divine justice will apply. And there is coming a day of divine justice. But before this time, now, right now, is the time of mercy. We're called to embrace mercy to be free of having to face divine justice. It's often a question people ask. How can there be a loving God when they've got the existence of hell? Right? Well, for me, this really helps explain it. Right? We take, it, we take our sins ourselves to hell. If we reject God's mercy, we have to face justice. You get what you deserve. I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want to get what I deserve. It gives me the creeps to think about it, right? But mercy is there. We throw ourselves into mercy and we experience his compassion. So that's how you can get the balance between the heaven and hell and God's love. If you reject his mercy, it's your choice. It's your choice if you want to spend eternal damnation. <laughs> you make that decision. And, you know, Jesus shows us it's so easy to claim his mercy. And no one who claims his mercy is lost. But on your deathbed, 
the enemy will try and convince you, you'll never get mercy. Look at your whole life. You've done everything wrong. There's no way you're going to get mercy. That's not the way God thinks. God gives us right to the very end. I was reading recently in a book written by a mystic said that Jesus and Mary come and snatch souls at the last hour. Snatch souls from Satan and, and rescue them. Don't leave it to the last hour. Too risky. <clears throat> Jesus says, proclaim that mercy is the greatest attribute of God. Did you realize that? All the works of my hands are crowned with mercy. I desire that the whole world know my infinite mercy. The whole world, including everybody here in Croydon this day. Get this line. I desire to grant unimaginable graces to those souls who trust in my mercy. Think of the best thing you could ever possibly want. Well, Jesus has got something even bigger. And I tell you, in my own life, I have experienced unimaginable graces. One is my wife. <laughs> the other, seriously, and the other I won't talk about. It's very personal. But incredible, beyond my possible dreams could I have thought. And to this day, I just, uh, I'm just walk around. This is the love and mercy of God. He won't be outdone in his generosity. Right, I am more generous towards sinners than towards the just. It was for their sake that I came down from heaven. It was for their sake that my blood was spilt. Let them not fear to approach me. They are in most need of my mercy. Tell the whole world about my mercy and my love. The flames of mercy are burning me. I desire to pour them out upon human souls. Oh, what pain they cause me when they do not accept them. Do whatever is within your power to spread devotion to my mercy. You got that? You, got, you know how I got this message? Somebody in a church picked up a brochure and put it in my face amongst a crowd of people. This hand came through the crowd and, and it had a picture of Jesus on it. You know what I thought? You know what I honestly thought? Huh, just what I need, another picture of Jesus. I've got like thousands of them at home. And I nearly dismissed this message. I didn't realize what was in it. I will make up for what you lack. Thank goodness for that, eh? Tell aching mankind to snuggle close to my merciful heart and I will fill it with peace. When was the last time you heard Jesus say, snuggle close? Eh? But it's, this is what he's saying. This is this, just like, wow. This, Jesus is serious about this. He's speaking to us in this generation in a language that we can understand. To change us. Okay, so what happened was Jesus appeared to St. Faustina, as you see here, and the rays from his chest came out, red and white. White represented the water, red represented the blood. So water we are washed in baptism, blood gives us new life. And Jesus said this to St. Faustina, Paint an image according to the pattern you see with the signature, J. 
Jesus, I trust in you. I promise that the soul that will venerate this image will not perish. Hello? Like, that's huge. I also promise victory over its enemies already here on earth, especially at the hour of death. I myself will defend it as my own glory. How do we venerate the image? We walk up to the image, we haven't got one here, and we just say, Jesus, I trust in you. That's venerating the image. So what does that mean? Jesus says the soul that will venerate the image will not perish. Does that mean I just do that every day? I don't go to Mass? I don't go? No, no, it doesn't mean that. It means that if you venerate the image, you will get the grace to go to Mass, to go to confession, and to be faithful, to do all the things our faith tells us we need to do. Jesus said, I will save those cities and houses in which this image will be found. Now this is a message that's not widely proclaimed. It was written by um, St. Faustina's spiritual director. It's not actually in her diary, but they say that if it's written by uh, her spiritual director, he would have had to have got it from St. Faustina. And he now is blessed on his way to being canonized. So this is an amazing thing. Have an image of your divine mercy. Put it in your home. He said, I will likewise protect persons who honor and trust in my mercy. Trust in my mercy. Jesus says, the graces of my mercy are drawn down by one vessel only. And that is trust doesn't say that is perfection, that is being faithful. He just says trust. The more a soul trusts, the more it will receive. Souls that trust boundlessly are great comfort to me because I pour all the treasures of my graces into them. I rejoice that they ask for much because it is my desire to give much. And just in case we didn't get it, he says again, very much. Jesus wants to give us abundance of graces, more than we can possibly imagine. And all we have to do is trust. Well, trust is not that easy. <laughs> if you've lived this journey, <laughs> you start to realize that that little signature, Jesus, I trust in you, it'll take you most of your life to, to get anywhere near getting it perfected. Pray as much as you can for the dying. By your entreaties, obtain for them trust in my mercy, because they have the most need of trust and have it the least. The grace of eternal salvation for certain souls in their final moment depends upon your prayer. <laughs> no sooner would heaven and earth turn into nothingness then would my mercy not embrace a trusting soul? I tell you, this is real. I can tell you many, many stories of how this is. I've tested this in my own life. I haven't got time for lots. I'll tell you one story. My best man at my wedding, um, his name's Thomas, his wife, Catherine. They're both from Singapore. Catherine's brother-in-law uh, they got a call that he was dying. So she flew to Singapore to be with him. 
and he's got the kids. The kids really didn't even know he was dying. But there was a bit of denial in the family about what was happening. Um, he's, his wife was Catholic, but he was Buddhist. So um, all the family had a funny attitude. They didn't want to tell even him that he was dying, let alone tell the family. So there was a lot of you know, difficulties in the, and a lot of, you can imagine, the emotion and stress in a situation like that. So she gets up there and she starts the kids. And the kids finally find out what's happening. And they say, what can we do for Dad? And she says, you pray the chaplet of mercy. So she gets all these little kids praying the chaplet of mercy. I'm in Sydney and I drop in to see my mate one Sunday night. He tells me what's going on. Catherine's in Singapore, blah, blah, blah. He said, you know, she wants to sort of, you know, minister to him, but, you know, he's, he's not Catholic and, uh, you know, she didn't quite know how to do it. And for some reason I just said, you know, if he wanted to convert on his deathbed, Catherine could actually give him baptism, could actually baptize him and make him a Christian. You know, an emergency like this, he doesn't have to wait for a priest. Anyway, he rings her at about midnight and he tells her this, right? Anyway, we find out the story later that she goes to the ho- Every time she go to the hospital, all the people around the bed and they're all, you know, just wasn't a, this wasn't the right moment. So anyway, she's, she's sitting by his bedside, her sister's with her, and one other man. And it's after midnight, so most of the family had gone home. And she's sitting in the chair, and she said, I'm falling asleep. And suddenly she hears this inner voice in her head say, Wake up! Why are you sleeping? And she, she sort of brings back, you know, Jesus in the garden and the apostles. And so she goes over to him and she starts to talk to him about God. And he said, oh, I don't know, you know, he's, I'm Buddhist and I've heard, because you know, his wife's Catholic, so he had some understanding of Christianity, but he couldn't quite get it all together and pull it out. Anyway, she spent ages just talking to him about it and about it and about it. And she just, something just in her just said, you know, if you wanted to become a Christian, I could baptize you now. But you'd have to want it. You would have to want it. Anyway, he turned around and he said, I want it, I want it, I want it. See the importance of desire? I want it, I want it, I want it. So she gets up, she picks up a paper cup, she walks to the sink, fills it with water, walks over to him and pours this water on his forehead and says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now all this is going on, his sister's sitting there, right? And the sister said later, I didn't know you were such an evangelizer. And, and you know, have, have you done this before? She said, I've never done it before in my life. <laughs> it was just being open to the Spirit. The amazing thing was, up until that point, he couldn't open his eyes. The, the drugs had made his eyes close. And he was lying in his bed and he was just thrashing the bedclothes. He had, didn't have, had no peace. Thrashing the bedclothes backwards and forwards. As soon as she baptized him, this incredible peace just descended on him. No longer was he thrashing in the bedclothes. He actually opened his eyes and he called his other, his brother-in-law and his, and his, to the bedside and he started to tell them how much he loved them. And, and he started to talk, oh, it's beautiful. And then he said, look, I, I'm going to rest now. And he put his head down and he, and he passed away in peace. 
And it was 3 a.m. in the morning. And <laughs> the story gets me. Anyway, the next day, she met another friend at the, well, not was the next day. Yeah, it was the next day because in Singapore, they have the wake before the actual burial. So all the people come. And she had one other member in the family had very strong faith. And she came to Catherine to share something. She said, you know, I had a crazy dream last night. She said, I was praying for, for my uncle. And she said, I had this vision of Jesus carrying him. And then she thought, it can't be. He's a Buddhist. <laughs> but it was true. And, and when she told Catherine, then Catherine told her the story. And they, she like, oh, my goodness. Like, so believe me, this stuff is real. If you have someone in your family or friends who is dying, you go to, if you can, if you can't go to their bed, it's just side wall, you say it where you can. One of my good friends, they got a call. You better come. You want to see Sid? He's not going to be with us much longer. I went down to the hospital. I sat in there. There were people around the bed. I waited as everybody went, and I just quietly put my hand in my pocket, got out my rosary beads, and just said quietly to myself, Chaplet of Mercy. And I'm telling you, this thing is so powerful, so powerful. Jesus says, I desire trust from my creatures. Encourage souls to place great trust in my fathomless mercy. Fathomless, no bottom. Let the weak, sinful soul have no fear to approach me. Fear is the Satan's tool. Fear is always from the enemy. For even if it had more sins than there are grains of sand in the world, all will be drowned in the immeasurable depths of my mercy. Man, that's a pretty big sinner, right? How many grains of sands are there on the world? Well, if that's how many sins you are, have no fear. God's mercy can save you. This is good news. Okay, in St. Matthew's Gospel, we read that Judas, you know who Judas, who betrayed Jesus. This text from Matthew's Gospel. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, deeply regretted what he had done. Judas said to the chief priests, I have sinned, I have betrayed innocent blood. Did you realize that? That Judas was sorry. How come? What's the difference? Peter sinned. Peter was given more. The more you're given, the more is expected of you. Peter was made head of the apostles. He, a lot was expected from Peter. And he betrayed Jesus. He denied him. So you compare Judas and Peter, you know, not much difference. One went on to be head of the church. One, we figure, probably went to lost his salvation. What was the difference? The difference was that Peter trusted in the mercy of God. Judas thought he could never be forgiven and went out and despaired and hung himself. So, we must trust in the mercy of God. Okay, so we've got this wonderful message. That what we've received already is enough to transform our lives. But, 
in typical Jesus style, he's going to give it to us grace after grace in abundance. Okay, now he gives us what we call the hour of mercy. Jesus says this, at three o'clock any day, implore my mercy, especially for sinners. And if only for a brief moment, immerse yourself in my passion, particularly in my abandonment at the, hour, at the moment of agony. This is the hour of great mercy for the whole world. I will allow you to enter into my mortal sorrow. In this hour, I will refuse nothing to the soul that makes request of me in virtue of my passion. See the power of the passion? You know, we, every day we just, you know, yeah, Jesus died for me, but whoa, what does it really mean? He said, the next gift that Jesus wants to give us is the chaplet of mercy. My daughter, encourage souls to say the chaplet which I have given to you. It pleases me to grant everything they ask of me by saying the chaplet. Through the chaplet, you will obtain everything if what you ask for will be compatible with my will. Now, obviously, God is a God of love. If you want to, you know, if the kids ask, Mum, Dad, can I go and play in the traffic? They're going to say no, because it's not good for them. So when we pray, sometimes we want things, but God knows that they're not good for us. They're not going to make us happy. So, you know, always our prayer is surrendering to the will of God. Say unceasingly this chaplet that I have taught you. Whoever will recite it will receive great mercy at the hour of death. Priests will recommend it to sinners as their last hope of salvation. Even if there were a sinner most hardened, if he were to recite this chaplet only once, he would receive grace from my infinite mercy. I desire to grant unimaginable graces to those souls who trust in my mercy. Is the language just overwhelming you? Is the, is the language just like, oh my goodness. This is the power of God's mercy. And this is the chapel of mercy. We won't say it now. We, I think we're going to say it this afternoon. But let, I just want to take you through the words just so you understand this prayer. Right? What We say this, this prayer here on what would be the Our Father beat. So we say one of these and then we say ten of these like we would in the Hail Mary. So when we go right around the rosary beat structure. So it's eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. First thing to note, this is a prayer to God the Father. Okay? It's a prayer to the Father. And we say to God the Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, Jesus. When I came back from pilgrimage, when I first discovered this prayer, I was on fire to say this prayer, you know. And at the time I was going with a, a, a girl who was, um, she wasn't Catholic, but very deeply religious. 
very deeply religious. Um, she belonged to the Uniting Church. Anyway, so I said to her, you want to say this prayer with me? So I, she said, oh, okay. So we started saying it. Anyway, halfway through the prayer, she says, I, I can't say this prayer. I've got to stop. I said, what do you mean you've got to stop? She said, those words. I said, what words? Those words, she said. I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Oh, I can't do that. So I can't say those words. And I thought, oh, gee. That is, that is powerful words. Who am I to offer to the Father the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? Then I thought, well, hang a bit. That's what we do at every Mass. Every Mass we offer to the Father the body, blood, soul, and divinity. So this is powerful. I knew one girl who said to me, you know, some weekdays when she couldn't get to Mass, she'd say that little, just that little prayer and really mean it. And that was how she would unite her intention with the masses that she couldn't be present at. And why are we doing this? We're making atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. If the world's in such crisis, if the world's facing this self-destruction, who's going to save it? Jesus is. How is Jesus going to get this action into the world? Through us. By saying, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. If we don't make reparation for the sins of the world, who is? You know, we've been given so much. We have a responsibility not only to save ourselves, but to save others. And it's so simple. We can just do it in the privacy of our own little prayer room. And then for the Hail Mary prayer, the one that we say ten times, for the sake of his sorrowful passion... Have mercy on us and on the whole world. In other words, so we're calling now mercy. Where has all this grace come from? His passion. His sorrowful passion. It's, you know, it's, it's basic stuff, but it just helps us to rediscover it anew, invigorate our minds, wake us up out of our sleep and our complacency that we've just had for so many years. This is a photo that I found in a German prayer book. And um, I put it up once and um, I actually got a negative comment from a priest that will remain nameless. <laughs> so I was a bit hesitant again to use it. And then the next time I put it up, I had a person come up to me and say, that photo changed my whole view of the Mass. Let's have a look at it. Here is Mass being offered at the altar. Here is the priest bending over with the sacred host, offering to the Father the sacrifice of the cross. Here's the altar boys. Here's, and look at this, the communion of saints, the apostles, and all the saints going back throughout the whole heavenly host. And look, even the souls in purgatory and all the congregation... That's me standing there. All the congregation offering to the Father this Mass. Notice the priest in the Mass. Right? We say the priest speaks in first person because the priest comes in and he speaks on behalf of, of, the, of Jesus. So you see Jesus within the priest. That's why we respect priests. That's why we call them Father because of their high office that they are Christ's representative. 
So that beautiful photo, I think, just captures it. And I've had so many people tell me how much that little photo has helped them in their mass and their devotion. So I show it. It's in the notes. So if you ask for the notes, you'll get a, a little photo of that. Jesus says, Write, speak of my mercy. Tell souls where they are to look for solace. That is the tribunal of mercy. Confession, in other words. Jesus calls the sacrament of confession the tribunal of mercy. Why? Because, he says, there the greatest miracles take place and are incessantly repeated. To avail oneself of this miracle, it's not necessary to go on great pilgrimage or carry out some external ceremony. It suffices to come with faith to the feet of my representative, the priest, and to reveal to him one's misery. And the miracle of divine mercy will be fully demonstrated. Were a soul like a decaying corpse, so that from a human standpoint there would be no hope of restoration, everything would already be lost, not so with God. The miracle of divine mercy restores that soul in full. Oh, how miserable are those who do not take advantage of the miracle of God's mercy. And to sober us up, this is not a sugar-coated message, you will call out in vain, but it will be too late. If you don't accept mercy, you'll have to face justice. Tell my priests that hardened sinners will repent on hearing their words when they speak about my unfathomable mercy, about the compassion I have for them in my heart. To priests who proclaim and extol my mercy, I give wondrous power and I will anoint their words and touch the hearts of those to whom they speak. You all know Father Anthony. Ever been to Father Anthony's parish? What does he have left of the altar? Two metres high? Picture of divine mercy. He talks about divine mercy all the time. And if ever um, you, want to, you can see people whose lives are transformed, maybe some of you who have spoken to him. Why? Because God anoints his words because he proclaims mercy. And Father Peter's order is based on all of this. Go down to their beautiful shrine. The same thing then. How blessed we are to have priests who proclaim God's mercy and to love Our Lady. Ah, oh, God, give us more of those priests. <laughs> We're so grateful here. There's, and you can thank the sisters because they chose these quality priests. And we should be so grateful. Tell sinners that no one shall escape my hand. If they run away from my merciful heart, they will fall into my just hands. You get the idea again? You got that understand between justice and mercy. Tell sinners that I am always waiting for them, that I listen intently to the beating of their heart. Oh my goodness, look at the words. When will it beat for me? Right, that I am speaking to them through their remorse of conscience through their failures and sufferings, through thunderstorms and through voice of the church. And if they bring all my graces to naught, 
I begin to get angry with them. How does God punish us? Leaving them alone and giving them what they want. Now that's very biblical. The Old Testament, you can read about that a lot. Where if they refuse God's grace, in the end he just said, let them have what they want. And of course, what they want is not God's will. So it didn't make them happy. It made them miserable. So um, that's you know, how God can punish us. Souls who spread the honor of my mercy, I shield through their entire life as a tender mother, her infant. Again, the words. What is Jesus saying? He wants us to wake up, wake up. Touch, let me touch your heart and draw you by love. And at the hour of death, I will not be a judge for them, but a merciful saviour. At that last hour, a soul has nothing which to defend itself except my mercy. Meditate on that during these weeks. At the last hour, a soul will have nothing to defend itself except my mercy. You can't try and make excuses. You can't blame. You can't do anything. You can't use your wealth or your power. You stand there in raw honesty and you have to admit, I have failed, and I have failed badly. But I claim your mercy. You are a greater saviour than I am a sinner. Happy is the soul that during its lifetime immersed itself in the fountain of mercy, because justice will have no hold on it. Wonderful news. I went to a um, Easter Sunday celebration once and this American priest came out and we're all packed in the church Easter Sunday, we're all on high and we're thinking great things and he says, think of the worst sin you've ever committed <laughs> what a way to start Easter Sunday, think of the worst sin you've ever done and we're all like oh. and he says, then ask yourself did it stop the countdown to the resurrection you know, and that's what we're celebrating here. My daughter, tell the whole world about my inconceivable mercy. I desire that the feast of mercy, so here's another gift the Lord's given us, the feast of mercy, be a refuge and shelter for all souls and especially poor sinners. On that day, the very depths of my tender mercy are open. I pour out a whole ocean of graces upon those souls who approach the fount of my mercy. The soul that will go to confession and receive Holy Communion shall obtain complete forgiveness of sins and punishment. On that day, the divine floodgates through which grace flows are open. Let no soul draw near to me even though its sins be as scarlet. How many times does he have to say it? How many different ways? How many powerful adjectives has he got to use to get through to us about his mercy? My mercy is so great that no mind, be it of man or angel, will be able to fathom it throughout all eternity. 
In other words, there's angels in heaven saying, I've got no idea how that guy got here. <laughs> he, to, to our way of thinking, he shouldn't be here. But God has forgiven him, washed him clean, purified him, and put him in this position. And that's the kind of mercy. The feast of mercy emerged from the very depths of my tenderness. It is my desire that it be solemnly celebrated on the first Sunday after Easter. Mankind will not have peace until it turns to the fount of my mercy. We're living in an age of mercy. This is the millennium of mercy. It's a message that we have to proclaim. And it's good news. We don't have to worry about, about you know, it's good news. It's easy to, to spread. Okay? Now, Feast of Mercy. I can remember very clearly in the 80s and the 90s, theologians writing, there is no way the Pope will be able to declare a feast of mercy. Mercy is every Sunday. You can't put feasts on Sunday. And the Pope's private little devotion to divine mercy, there's no way that's ever going to become universal. Well, John Paul declared at the canonization of St. Faustina, he just got up and boldly said, from now on, the Sunday after Easter will be known as Divine Mercy Sunday. And um, put an end to all that nonsense. <laughs> and fulfilled Jesus' request that he asked for some 60 years earlier. So, understand, it is not an optional feast. The Sunday after Easter is now called Divine Mercy Sunday. Unfortunately, in the English Ordo, it came out and it was a poor translation of what the Pope actually said in Italian. It is, it is not optional. It is a compulsory feast. But it is spreading. I'm sure you, many of you go to that celebration and you, every year it just gets bigger and bigger. More and more people are embracing it and it's just beautiful to watch. So... Um, I won't spend too much time on all this because you can get little brochures and tell you, but um, if we were right on Easter or at Lent, I might spend more time. But basically, what you have to do to get this gift, the gift, what is the gift? The gift is all your sins are wiped away. You might say, well, hang on, I went to confession. I thought all my sins were wiped away. All your sins are wiped away. But the church teaches that with sin, we have to do reparation. So what's reparation? Well... Supposing, I'll pick on Michael, supposing I, um, I go up to Michael's house one day, I got a huge rock, and I just put a brick straight through his front window, right? And off I go, and I go away, and I have some remorse, and I come back, and I say, listen, Michael, I'm, I'm sorry about the brick through the window. Um, will you forgive me? And Michael, being the good person he is, says, sure, Paul, I forgive you. I say, okay, see you, Michael, I'm off. Michael's going to say, well, that's good, Paul, but, you know, you, you need to do some reparation. Are you going to put a new window in? Oh, I've got no money. Well, could you put something towards it? Oh, I've got no money at all. Well, could you at least help the person who is going to put it in? You know, I have to do something to make reparation for my sin. It's just natural that you can just understand. That's why we, even though we, you know, we can go to purgatory, even though um, we've been to confession, we, what they call debt due to sin. And one way to remove this is through things called plenary indulgence. But a plenary indulgence, you have to be detached from the sin. So often if we're in um, 
long habitual sin, we actually still have an attachment to the sin, even though we have this kind of love-hate relationship with the sin. So, but on Divine Mercy Sunday, all your sins are wiped away. You don't have to have that complete detachment like a plenary indulgence. All your sin is wiped away, and all debt due to sin is wiped away. So you have to go to confession, but all the debt due to sin. In other words, one of the theologians, John Paul, had some theologians analyze this, and they described it. The only way we can describe it, it's a new grace that God's giving us. We can, it's almost like the effects of what baptism. In baptism, when you um, are baptized, all your sins and all your debt due to sin is wiped away. Well, Divine Mercy Sunday, all your debt due to sin. So you're like a newborn baby. So if you've had a history of stuff that you're not too proud about, and let's be honest, most of us fall into that category one time or another, you go on Divine Mercy Sunday and you can rejoice. You're like a newborn baby and start all over again. All right. Okay, so we're, we're running short of time. Um, I, we should mention this. John Paul died on the vigil of the Feast of Mercy. This is the, uh, the official statement about John Paul's death. The Holy Father died 937 this evening in his private apartment. At 8 p.m., the celebration for the Mass of Divine Mercy Sunday began in the Holy Father's room. During the course of the Mass, Vatican was administered to the Holy Father and once again the sacrament of anointing of the sick. So if Jesus really wanted to stress a point, he took the Pope who declared this feast, he took him home on the eve of Divine Mercy Sunday. One last thing. Jesus says that we have to not only receive mercy, but we now have to give mercy to others. We've got to pass this on. My daughter, I demand from you deeds of mercy, which are arised out of love for me. You are to show mercy to your neighbors, always and everywhere. You must not shrink from this or try to excuse or absolve yourself from it. I am giving you three ways to exercise mercy towards your neighbor. First, by deed, the second, by word, and the third, by prayer. In these three degrees is contained the fullness of mercy and is an unquestionable proof of love for me. Yeah, so I think we leave it there. I hope you receive the grace. Give thanks to God for the grace that he's given us in this last hour. Let's just say a little prayer in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, dear Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Your mercy. What can we say, Lord? But throw ourselves in your mercy with great love, great trust, great rejoicing. We thank you, Lord, in union with all the saints and our blessed mother. We praise and we thank you. And we especially thank you for the grace that you've given us this day. And you made a point of telling us and encouraging us to open our hearts. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. That was Paul Ellard with Divine Mercy. And for more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.
Dot AU.